You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard exclusively here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. We are broadcasting from their state-of-the-art studios in the Tech Space facility in Costa Mesa, California. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we do encourage you to consider listening to the show live during our broadcast times. This show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Succession Strategies, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, and Brandman University. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs and business owners, to make better and more informed decisions. We do that by interviewing guests who have knowledge and experience that they can share with you that hopefully you can learn from. If you're expecting to hear our interview with John Garner of Garner Consulting, well, just stay tuned. He's the second guest on today's episode because our first guest today is Larry Sternberg. Larry is president of Talent Plus, and you may remember Larry from an earlier episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. Larry, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's good to have you back on the show. And we're here in Southern California broadcasting live, streaming live here from octalkradio.net. I know you're not in Southern California, so I would be remiss. No, and I, I really wish I were there with you. Let me tell you, it's cold here in Lincoln, Nebraska. How cold? Well, today it warmed up to 18 degrees. Uh, we're thrilled. It, okay. was, it was in the minus uh, the past few days. Very cold and almost unimaginable for those of us that live here in Orange County. Let's start by asking you to refresh our audience's memory of what is your background? What did you do before you joined the team at Talent Plus, Larry? Before I joined Talent Plus, I I practiced law for a while in Washington, D.C. I changed careers. I got into the hotel business. I held a variety of positions in the hotel business, uh, including corporate director of training for Hyatt Hotels, corporate director of human resources for Omni International Hotels. And I was also, uh, after that, I became a general manager for Ritz-Carlton Hotels. So the, when you were on our show previously, you were a vice president with Talent Plus. Now you're the president of Talent Plus. I guess congratulations are in order in, with the new title and new responsibilities. Thank you very much. So tell us in our audience a little bit about your firm. Tell us about what Talent Plus does. And I'm also excited because I'd like you to discuss the mission of Talent Plus as well as kind of your area of expertise and, and what, what's been beneficial about working with uh, Talent Plus both from an employee's perspective and from a client's perspective, if you would, Larry. All right. Well, let me start with the mission. That's the most fundamental thing. Uh, our mission is three sentences long. We believe every person has talent. Talent's expression is dependent upon the opportunity to express it. It is the goal of Talent Plus to help its clients and their employees express this talent to the mutual benefit of the individual and organization. And and just uh, for all the listeners, we define talent as the potential for excellence. And, and so our first sentence is, we believe every person has talent. We believe every person has the potential for excellence in some endeavor. So that's our, that's our mission statement. So we are, we are an aptitude assessment organization, and that is fundamentally what we do. And we are obsessed with studying top performers. One of the differences between Talent Plus and organizations who have a similar methodology is many organizations study average. They, they want to compare people to the mean or to the average. We study top performers, and we want to know how an individual stacks up compared to top performers in their profession and in their industry. So we are not looking for people who can perform adequately in their role. We're looking for people who are a great fit for the client's culture, and who have the potential to perform as good or better as the very best people they've ever seen. You know, the audience for Critical Mass Radio Show tend to be business owners and CEOs of companies with less than $100 million in annual revenue. You're talking to that audience. Why would they use or hire or partner with Talent Plus? What problem do you help them solve, Larry? Well, we help them solve a variety of problems. 
uh, when organizations work with us, one of the first things that happens is they can get greater diversity in their workforce. And many, many organizations today are seeking greater diversity in their workforce. And we can help them attain that diversity without any compromise whatsoever in their hiring standards. Uh, we can help them improve their sales. We can help them improve the retention of employees as well as the retention of customers. We can help them improve the quality of their products and services. We can help them solve a variety of problems because when you have people who have the potential to perform as good as the very best people and who are a good fit for your culture, all of your metrics are going to move in the right direction. And that presupposes that the CEO understands what her culture, what the culture of her company is, likes it, and wants more of it. Right, Larry? Well, every CEO is going to have a, a point of view about what their culture is. But one of the interesting things is when we come into an organization and say, let us study your top performers, people who have been around long enough for you to know that they are an elite group of people. We're going to study the top performers in your organization, and we're going to know, therefore, who thrives in your culture. By definition, your top performers who have been around are people who thrive selling your products and services to your customers in your culture. And so we have an understanding of what the culture values by doing a profile, an aptitude profile, of the top performers in the culture. It's really critical, uh, in my experience working with CEOs of those size companies, that the culture and maintaining and enhancing the culture really does start it with your hiring process, in my experience, Larry, because if you're not hiring with your culture in mind, you can very quickly overwhelm your culture with people that you've hired for skill set or for whatever reason that maybe don't have a fit to the culture and then slowly change it. We agree with that wholeheartedly. And since what we're doing here is empirical research, CEOs might discover things about their culture that they might not have noticed for one reason or another. Yeah, and that's the other side of it is sometimes um, in my work with CEOs, I find that they may be the least aware of the actual culture of their company because the culture they see may not be the culture that is actually in place when they may not be in the room or within earshot. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and a related point on this issue of what is the real culture is what the culture looks like is very much a matter of perspective. Mm. So in a major city, for instance, let's take just Chicago as a, as a hypothetical example. If I ask wealthy residents of Chicago to describe the culture of Chicago, I'll get a particular description. If I ask enough wealthy residents, there may be some commonality among their description. If I go into the inner city where there are a lot of poor and disadvantaged individuals and I ask them to describe the culture of Chicago, I'm, I bet I would get a materially different description of the culture of Chicago from that group of people or, or from a group of people who are immigrants who don't speak English, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same thing in a company. If I ask somebody on the factory floor to describe the culture, I'm going to get a different description of the culture than somebody from the C-suite. And you know what? They're both valid. It's a matter of perspective. Great point on which we're going to take our first commercial break, Larry. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit about Talent Plus in the sense that I know that your firm has been recognized as a great small and medium workplace for 2011, 2012 and 2013 and it's my understanding your firm ranked second in in the 2013 survey so when we come back i'm going to ask you to explain what your firm is doing that leads to such an engaged workforce and such great recognition as a great small and medium workplace so larry sternberg president of talent plus is our guest ladies and gentlemen go nowhere because we'll be right back in two minutes after these commercial words Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? 
At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I told you we'd only be gone for two minutes. This business talk show, it really appreciates our audience that listens online via podcast. We'd like to thank and acknowledge your loyal support. In the last 30 days, you've downloaded over 10,000 copies of our show. For that, we truly appreciate it. And we'd like you to know that all of our shows can be heard live as well here on octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, let's return to Larry Sternberg. He's president of Talent Plus. Before the break, Larry, I was saying that I wanted you to come back and talk about what your firm is doing to develop such an engaged employee base that you were able to successfully place so high in the great small and medium workplace surveys over the past three years. Well, first of all, we eat our own cooking. We use our own science, the science of talent, to select people. They go through multiple interviews, and we, we do not rush the selection process. We hold out until we find the right individual who has this potential for excellence in the role that we're seeking and also is a great fit for our culture. So we spend a huge amount of time on the selection process. And consequently, we've hardwired our culture with individuals who are in jobs that they really love. They So right away, you're going to be more engaged when you're spending most of your time doing things you're good at and enjoy. We also select for people who have a propensity to develop good, positive relationships. So we bring them into the culture, and this is a very relationship-oriented culture. So people are welcomed very warmly into our culture, and they, they develop quickly relationships. They make friends here, and we, we are very social outside of the, the workday. So people go out together and, and do things together outside the workplace. So they're in jobs they love, and they're wor- working with people who are genuinely their friends. We celebrate numerous personal successes and milestones that our associates are, are going through in their life. As a matter of fact, uh, we just finished having a, a, a shower for one of, our, one of our associates who is about to get married. Typically, those, those are the fundamentals. And we have a number of specific practices that truly enhance engagement. We don't do traditional performance evaluations. One of the things we do is called career investment discussions. And I did two of those today with Associates and Talent Plus. And I wasn't evaluating their performance. I was asking them a series of questions about how I could better support them. Questions like, what would you like to learn here? Questions like, how do you think your potential is being maximized? And if, if I don't get an answer that they think it's being maximized, I ask them, how can I help you uh, get better in that area? How can we do better? What can I do to support you? So we have a series of questions where the supervisor is asking the subordinate, how can I better serve you? And that helps 
everybody's engagement. And of course, the most important thing about that is acting on it. Once an associate says, here's a need I have, then the supervisor must go out and act on it. You almost have Another the ob- thing we, excuse me? I'm saying you almost have the obligation to act on it when you've asked the question of the employee. Absolutely. Absolutely. I Right in the middle of, of these conversations, I put things on my to-do list. And then I go out and act on them. And my personal standard is I want to I want to do something within 30 minutes to show that employee I, I'm really taking this seriously. That's very powerful. Uh, another another practice that we have here we call formation, and we learned this practice from one of our our great clients, Ritz Carlton. They call it lineup, but we call it formation. And every morning we get together and discuss one of our fundamental values and how it's helping us succeed and grow as a company and how it's helping us grow as individuals. We also recognize people with what we call plays of the day, and people just call each out during this. This is a stand-up meeting. All Talent Plus associates are invited to this meeting, and it has great attendance. So when you want to engage people, this repetition of our fundamental values helps us hold each other accountable to living out those values. And we recommit every day to living out these values. So we go through these values one by one. When we get to the end, we start We start over. That's a very powerful way to improve and enhance uh, employees' engagement. We're also very transparent. Although we're a privately held company, we share our financial uh, situation, our P&L, our goals, and everybody has a chance to ask the senior leaders, not only me, but the board members, any questions they may have in a public forum. We're also very accessible. Uh, anybody, anybody who works at Talent Plus can see any board member or me pretty much any time they want to. We're also involved in the community. We have four pillars each year that are chosen by the associates, and we, and we give to the community not only money, but we, we volunteer. We talk about time, talent, and treasure that we give to the community. And our associates really feel proud of our company based on our size, how much we really give back to this, to this community in terms of monetary donations and in terms of volunteer hours. That We don't really have a policy about this. If an associate at Talent Plus wants to volunteer for something in the community, we are incredibly supportive and flexible in making that time available to people. And we don't talk about work-life balance at Talent Plus. We talk about work-life integration. Mm. We work really hard in this culture. It's a ticket to admission. If people don't like working really hard and then smile while they're doing it, they're probably not going to thrive in our culture. And so we allow people to integrate their personal life with their work life. So if a mother has to take off an afternoon to go hear uh, her, her daughter play in the school orchestra, it's really a non-issue in Talent Plus. People just do this. They, they take care of their personal life. They take care of their business life. Our associates typically work from home. They work on holidays. And not because we require it. It's because they're so locked into the mission of this company and serving our clients and making a difference in the lives of our clients and helping those organizations grow that they, they just integrate their personal life with their work life. Larry, so I think you've, that, given, you've given us some best practices for a small and medium-sized company to build an engaged workforce. Let, let me ask you, how many employees does Talent Plus have? About 150 right at the moment. Are they all in Lincoln, or are they in other locations? No, they're not. They're not all in Lincoln. We have, a, we have associates who are scattered around the company. The vast majority are in Lincoln. Sure. We also have a Singapore office where we have about 10 uh, associates working out of that office. Larry, I have about five minutes left with you, and uh, I, I, I believe the tenets of how Talent Plus built your culture, the, what, what you and the founders have built there is truly unique, and that winning this award is representative of that. It's, it's actually a, a well-deserved and earned award. But could you, from your perspective, help CEOs of middle, middle-sized companies understand 
why employee engagement, from your perspective, is so important for them to work on as the leader of their company? Certainly. It's pretty straightforward. The more engaged your workforce is, the more success you're going to have, and it's going to lead to growth. I mean, that's why it's important. I also think my personal value system is it's important to me not just as a means to those ends I just described. It's important to me as an end in itself. I want associates who love what they do. Our co-chairman, Kimberly Rath, says we want people to tap dance to work. Mm. And I want that as an end in itself because I care about these people. Uh, We don't want anybody stuck in a job they don't like, working on a mission that doesn't speak to them in their hearts. I want this as an end in itself. It so happens it will lead to to these outcomes, success and growth. But I want a culture where people love their associates and they love what they do and they know they're making a difference in the lives of our clients. And your clients notice that difference too, right? That's that's one of the things that I love about an engage, a company that has a truly engaged workforce, employees are truly engaged, that it bleeds out of the culture into the into the marketplace and into your clients as well. Absolutely, and into the community. It makes you an employer of choice. Uh, people want to know, why. what's going on over there? Why do people love working for that organization? And the more you do that, the better applicants you get who are more likely to be a great fit for your culture. So, Larry, I'm, a, I'm coming up against the clock here, and I have some more questions that you and our producer, Crystal, put together. Plus, I'm thinking as you're talking, I think it would be fun to have you back on the program because I want to talk about the other side of the coin. From my perspective, uh, working with $100 million companies and smaller, unfortunately, all too often, an engaged workforce is an anomaly in the company. It's not the norm. And I, and I guess I'd like to look at the, the opportunity from the other side. Maybe when you come back, we'll, we'll finish up the questions. I can get a chance to ask you this time. And I, I'd like to get into a little bit about what do companies do that disengage their employees so that the CEOs that are listening to your interview today can also see if they're modeling any behaviors that are actually counterproductive to building an engaged workforce. It would be my pleasure. Okay, so you're going to be getting an email from Crystal uh, later this week. And, ladies and gentlemen, if you've enjoyed this interview with Larry Sternberg, president of Talent Plus, well, stay tuned to our email newsletter distribution because we're going to have him back on the show to talk about the other side of the coin and help you to see it from two perspectives. If someone would like to learn more about Talent Plus, how do they find you online, Larry? They can go to www talentplus.com and people also can access uh, my blog which is leadershiplaboratory.wordpress.com and and I'm espousing the philosophy and practices of Talent Plus and those that we bring to our clients. I have an audience of lifelong learners and I hope a number of them find your blog, sign up for RSS feeds and start to, to get the perspective from the president of the company that is walking the talk and not only doing it for their clients, but they've done it and continue to do it for their employees. And so I was excited to have you on the show today, Larry. Uh, you didn't disappoint. Have a good day. Thanks for being a friend of the radio show and a part of our business community, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you very much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Larry Sternberg, president of Talent Plus. As I promised you at the open of the show, John Gardner, who is sitting here in the studio of Gardner Consulting, will be our second guest. We're going to take a short commercial timeout. Don't go anywhere, because, again, we'll be back in two or three minutes this time. Talk to you soon. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Math for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group.
There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else. And that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. And it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences and knowledge of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on our radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our show. We delivered over 20,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions last month. To learn more, contact our advertising department at 949 949- 887-4104. All of our shows can be found from our website at criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Okay, as promised, our second guest is here in the studio. John Garner of Garner Consulting is our guest. John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's talk a little bit about you. Talk to our audience about your background, kind of what you did before Garner Consulting. Well, like most people in the insurance industry, I just fell into it. Um, I was looking for a job out of college, and Prudential Insurance offered me more money than anybody else. So I took the job. It was a great experience. They put me in a management training program where I rotated through all the different uh, parts of the company that had anything to do with group insurance. Great background for what I'm doing now, although, of course, I didn't know it at the time. Yeah, who knows? I was just looking for a job to put my first wife through grad school and... And once that was done, I pursued some other career interests that didn't pan out. And so then I needed another job, and all I knew was insurance. So I got a job with another insurance company, uh, just a a claim examiner with Lincoln National Life. Uh Um, Within six months, I was manager of the office, and a couple of years later, I was recruited to a consulting firm, uh, Olaney Hurston Hemrick. It was a small firm, about... 40-some people, great esprit de corps, a great place to learn things. The Employee Retirement Income Security Act, ERISA, Mm -hmm. had just been passed a couple of years before I became a consultant. And so there were all these new regulations coming out all the time, and it was my job to stay on top of certain parts of those. And it, very similar to what's going on right now with health care reform sure. and the, the flood of regulations and other guidance that we've got. So how did all that lead to your current to, to starting your own or running your own firm? Well, um, after I had been at Olaney Hurst & Hemrick a couple of years, uh, we were acquired, and that merger did not work out well at all. It pretty well destroyed the company, and what was left of it was sold to a large international management consulting firm, then known as TPF&C. And after I became a principal there, I thought that was a career commitment, that I'd be there the next 20 or 25 years and retire. And instead, it put me in the big leagues of their corporate politics, and I hated it. And I interviewed with some other competitors of theirs and decided that you know, the politics and the bureaucracy would be pretty much the same anywhere and that I'd be happiest as my own boss. And so how long, how long have you had this firm? 27 years now. You've had this firm for 27 years? Yeah. Wow. You did a lot of stuff before you started your own company, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. Well, you ladies and gentlemen, this is a radio show. You can't see him. He, he doesn't look like he's had that much time in the saddle, but obviously he has. So congratulations to you on that one, John. Thank you. Rick. So um, what makes Garner Consulting different? And what do you do for your clients? We do a couple of things. We do consulting on life, health, and disability benefits, and we do group insurance brokerage. Okay. 
Things that we do for our clients is we help them with plan design issues, with financing issues and decisions, with vendor selection, uh, and with compliance issues. And the way we do that varies. Um, most of what we do is consulting as opposed to brokerage. Most of the consulting work is project work, either for a fixed fee or for on an hourly rate basis. Mm-hmm. Some of our work is ongoing work for clients where we're either paid a retainer or we just work on an hourly rate basis. What makes us different is our expertise in compliance issues and strategic issues. For example, for a a small company in California right now, that's 50 employees or under, the the rates and the benefits are the same. You can go to any broker and they're going to deliver the same thing for you. So what we do is we help companies with developing the right strategy for their organization. Hmm. It fits very much with your prior interview about corporate culture. Right. And if I could just talk for a minute about the uh, the different strategies, there's a variety of strategies okay. out there, and most business owners aren't aware of them. Okay, please um, do. When um, health benefits became common back in the, the 50s, uh, it was a very different world in the workplace. You know, your typical employee was a man who had a wife at home with the 2.3 kids, and it was typical for employers to take a very paternalistic approach on benefits. They would decide what was best for everybody, and that was the benefit, right. period. Right. Well, it's a very different world in the workplace today. We, we have a lot of diversity in a lot of different ways. And a good benefit program for one employee could be a terrible benefit program for another employee. So there's typically a lot of choice provided to employees today. But most employers have what I call a a flexible or market-driven strategy. And that is, you know, they they don't have a a dogmatic strategy. They don't have an overarching approach to benefits. They get their renewal, and they say, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do now? Right. And, you know, they react to it. And, you know, that gives them a lot of flexibility. That's a plus. But... It also means they can't really plan for the future, and employees don't really know what to expect from year to year. Mm -hmm. So having a strategic approach is very helpful to the organization and to the employees, especially if that's communicated to the employees. Right. It always seems to me, John, that this part of the benefits that you offer to your employees can be somewhat confusing, again, CEOs of $100 million companies or smaller my target audience. For the larger ones who have an HR department, they many times would prefer just to let the HR staff kind of handle this stuff because it gets really, and there are a lot of questions that they're just not comfortable answering. And if you're smaller than that, you outsource that, and you sort of don't even want to get your fingers on it just for fear. And then that's even before the Affordable Care Act was introduced. Now it's... I, I don't know any CEO who's comfortable sitting in front of their employee population and trying to explain the strategy behind their health care plans and their benefits that they're going to be offering to them. You're absolutely right. You know, most employers don't have an articulated strategy, so how could they explain it? You right. know, and they don't understand the Affordable Care Act, so how do they explain their reaction to that? Right. And, and, and feeling like they have to have the answers, which is sometimes a problem for CEOs because you don't employees don't always expect you to have the answers. They don't even want to walk into the room for fear that people are going to think, well, he doesn't even know or she doesn't even know what we're being offered here. What's going on in this company? It's almost like you're doing more damage than good. So having someone who can articulate that as a partner is probably very valuable, only more so now that we've introduced a lot of other regulations that didn't exist before. Absolutely. So let me talk for a minute about some of the different strategies that employers are using. Uh, One strategy is a total compensation strategy, where benefits aren't viewed separately from base pay or incentive pay, but it's looked at holistically. Typically, what an employer using the strategy would do is designate a pot of money for benefits in general. So employee and then give employees lots of choices. Okay. So, you know, some employees might take more medical, others might take 
like uh, rich dental or vision or life insurance or disability insurance or put the money into a 401k plan. Others may have great benefits through a spouse and say, hey, I want it in cash. Of course, it becomes taxable if they do that, but right. you know, that's, that's doable. But it's also spendable. Oh, yes. So. <laughs> or they may say, I want all those benefits and take less in cash, and that can be done on a, a salary reduction basis. Interesting. Uh, another approach, which has some similarities, is a defined contribution health care approach. You know, most of your listeners are probably familiar with the difference between a defined benefit and a defined contribution. I think we've all put that plan. through the whole pension. Yes, we're, we're right. all painfully aware of the difference now. <laughs> and healthcare is going through a similar transition. Okay. Uh, under this approach, employers take a, a defined amount of money, typically a different amount for a single employee than an employee with dependents. Okay. And they say, here's what we're going to give you to spend on medical. And they give the employees, again, a number of choices, and the employees choose the the plan that they want. As with the total compensation approach, it fixes the employer's contribution. Right. They're not on this escalator where costs are going up double digits almost every Almost like an allowance, then. Exactly. Against their expenses. Yeah, good analogy. Okay. So uh, another approach is a consumer-driven health plan approach. And with this approach, employees have a plan with a higher deductible, but the employer gives the employees a pot of money in either a health savings account or a health reimbursement account, which are not to be confused with flexible spending accounts. See what I mean? This is not simple stuff. Oh, yeah, I mean, the words all sound similar, <laughs> yeah. but they're defined terms in the Internal Revenue Code or regulations, and they, they are very different animals. Yes. Um, with the HSAs and the HRAs, that money, unlike a spending account, rolls over from year to year. Oh, okay. So you can say to the employee, okay, we're going to go from a $250 deductible to a $1,000 deductible, but we're going to give you $500 every year. Mm-hmm. And if you don't use it, it'll carry forward to next year. Got it. So it gives the employee an incentive to be a good consumer of health care. And they haven't had that incentive in the past. And, and I think that's uh, maybe the silver lining. I don't want to be, we're, we don't do politics here, and I'm not getting political with you in our radio audience, but I think bringing free market and some level of consumer awareness to the cost of health care is not a bad thing in the long term. It needs to be done, especially because you gave a great way of explaining how companies in the 50s, their approach to it, we're sort of still in that mindset that, hey, we don't expect them to pay for our car insurance, do we? Right? They don't give us our car insurance, but we want the health care. We're going to take a break here, John. When we come back, I've got a lot to get to. I think we're not going to get to all the questions that we have planned for you today, but that's okay, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show. John Garner of Garner Consulting is our guest here. We'll be right back in two minutes, so please don't go anywhere. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. 
And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Again, I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast each month. Uh, you've downloaded over 10,000 copies of our shows over the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued support. All right, let's get back to our guest, John Garner. John, I think the earlier conversation before the commercial break sets us up very nicely to help ask you to help explain not all of the Affordable Care Act. We don't have that time. <laughs> but can you at least give them a sense for an update on the current status from what you're seeing on the Affordable Care Act in its rollout here in California and kind of across the country? Well, we've obviously had some big bumps in the road. Uh, I'm optimistic things are going to get fixed. And I'm also optimistic in terms of costs. You know, it hasn't gotten a lot of publicity, but there are some things in the Health Care Reform Act that I think will help hold down costs in the future. That's long run. Short run, we're going to see some fairly significant increased costs in 2014. There are two big new taxes and fees that are effective this year. And one of them is known as the reinsurance contribution fee. Uh, what this is is uh, a fee that will go to insurance companies. And the reason for that is the insurance companies that are in the new exchanges are taking a huge risk. They don't know if they're only going to get sick people or if they're going to get a good mix of sick and healthy people. And the insurance companies that get that bad mix uh, are going to get money from the federal government to compensate them for that. Hmm. There's a, a complex risk adjustment formula in the law. And that money's coming from? It comes from every health insurance company or self-funded health plan sponsor. Okay. There, there's this new fee. Uh, it's going to raise $12 billion in 2014. Later this year, every insurance company or self-funded plan is going to be asked how many people they cover. And the government will do the math to say, okay, that's X dollars per member per month and send them a bill. Uh, right now, the official estimate is $63 annually, $5.25 a month. Per employee? Per covered life. Okay. So if you've got a family of 10, it's you know, $52.50 a month. And who's paying this? Well, ultimately, it's the employer paying it. Okay. Yeah, it, for a fully insured plan, the insurance company pays it. I got so it. So for most of your listeners, it's the insurance company, but that just increases the rates. Right. Um, the other big new tax is a new health insurance tax. Now, this only applies to fully insured plans. So self-funded plan sponsors are escaping this, but that's generally larger. Are self-funded plans generally plans... By larger firms? Yes. Okay. Because they are they have a large enough demographic uh, population that they can spread the risk or something? Yeah. Uh, a self-funded plan needs to have a, a good risk pool. There's lots of self-funded plans for employers that are 50 to 100, uh, especially over 100 lives. Typically, what they do is they buy reinsurance, okay. uh, something called stop-loss insurance, so that you know, they're they're only self-funding a portion of it, uh, but they can escape this new tax if they do that. And different states, including California, are doing things to try and discourage that. So it gets very complicated. That's probably a discussion for another day. Now, both of those sound like if I'm a CEO of a business of a hundred million dollars or less, both of those, John, sound to me like short-term bad news. Absolutely. Okay. If, if your insurance company would have been planning on giving you an 8% increase, you're probably going to get a 13% increase just because of those two new fees. Okay. Uh, and there's other new fees in the law. Um, in 2014, uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers will pay $3 billion in fees. And obviously that gets added to the cost of drugs, and the insurance companies have to budget for that. Right. There's a new fee on medical devices, and right. the same thing happens. So there, there's a, a lot going on. Also, uh, there's uh, there are limits on cost sharing for plan years starting in 2014. So now 
an employee cannot have an out-of-pocket maximum for in-network services that exceeds $6,350. So a lot of smaller employers you know, had limited budgets, and therefore you know, they offered limited plans. You right. know, I know plans that had $10,000 deductibles. Well, now, and the deductible is counted as part of that out-of-pocket limit. So now... All the out-of-pocket expenses, your deductible, your coinsurance, your co-payments, that's limited to $6,350. That almost sounds like a catastrophic protection for a, for an employee. I mean, if you if you were to be diagnosed with cancer or some family member and you had these huge bills, you're not at risk for more than $6,000-some in, in exactly. any one year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the f- limit for a family is twice that, 12700 Okay. okay. Yes, it's been a common feature of plans to have this out-of-pocket limit, but there were no statutory limits on it before, okay. and sometimes it didn't include the deductible or the co-payments, and now all the rules have changed on that. So for plans that weren't as rich, that's an added cost for them, because this is obviously a better benefit, and better benefits cost more money. Okay. Starting next year... Uh, there will be penalties for employers with 50 or more full-time equivalent employees, and that will add to costs. Not for everybody. Some employers already offer coverage that meets a minimum value test and is affordable, and they won't have any penalties. But other employers don't offer that to all their employees working at least 30 hours a week, and It will mean an added cost, either in terms of penalties or improving the benefits. Is there more? Oh, it goes on. (laughs) Even if an employer has a minimum value uh, plan that is affordable, if they have employees who don't work a regular schedule but work variable hours, they're going to have to set up a procedure for tracking those hours to determine who counts as a full-time employee for purposes of health care reform. So do, do, do you find in your profession, not to interrupt you, but do you ever find CEOs of businesses and getting mad at you for having the experience for them having to pay so much attention to understand what is going on with their business as it relates to the Affordable Care Act? Oh, oh yeah. The, they're often angry with the messenger. Yeah, no don't kill the messenger. But, I mean, and they need to go through this. It, it, was, it's, it felt, earlier conversation, it was already a complex idea of health insurance offered by your employer that has now been made even more complicated. Maybe in the end it makes it better and simpler and bends the cost curve and things, but the initial issue seems to me to be a lot for us to digest and figure out how do we become compliant to a whole other set of rules that didn't exist before this year and next year. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we spend a lot of our time doing is helping employers with these compliance issues. There's all kinds of new notices, not, you know, in addition to all these fees and new plan design requirements. And I've just scratched the surface on some of that. I want to spend some time talking about some potentially positive things. You about have two this. minutes. Okay. Um, I'll start with another new fee that some plans have already paid, and that's a called the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute fee. Who um, thinks these names are? <laughs> the, um, this fee goes to fund a new research institute. It's a fairly small fee, uh, $1 per covered life per year the first year, $2 the second year. But it's going to fund research so that we will know what treatments work in which uh-huh. situations. You know, much of medicine today is an art, not a science. Yeah. Doctors order certain things or do certain things because it seemed to work before, but we haven't had the scientific evidence. If we have the evidence and if we can get the word out about that, you know, that should improve treatments, and better treatments ultimately lead to lower costs. Makes sense. So that's one good thing. Also, if we're successful in getting more people covered that will reduce something known as cost shifting. Mm -hmm. Because when an insured patient goes to an emergency room and gets admitted to the hospital, the hospital typically doesn't get paid by that person. And so they raise the rates for everybody else to pay for that. That's cost shifting. And if there's fewer uninsured people, there'll be less cost shifting. So it might not reduce costs, but it should reduce the cost increases. 
So that's another positive thing. There's also many things in the Affordable Care Act that relate to Medicare, some of which are being adopted by the the private sector. Just one example is something called accountable care organizations. And I won't go into details on what they are, but the goal is to change the way health care providers are compensated. Mm. Instead of compensating them for the quantity of care they deliver, they'll be compensated based on the quality of care they deliver. And that should help with costs. Man, I tell you, it is, uh, uh, you know, your head must be spinning and your clients. Although I guess bringing this back to the fact that you're an entrepreneur and a business owner, in some ways, this ha- you've probably never been more important to your clients than you have been over the past two years, and as certainly as this rollout and probably into the long-term future as the, as the Affordable Care Act really gets kind of embedded into the into, into the way business is done. So your value has got to gone has got to have gone through the roof. Well, I'd like to think so. I'm, I'm sure it has because you you again. I, I don't. I hopefully the radios didn't click off and people didn't drop off because of the. Um, how hard you have to pay attention to understand what's going on with the Affordable Care Act. It is a challenge for us as leaders of business to really understand what has happened here to make the right informed decisions for their company and their employees. I'm glad you're out there to help them. If someone wants to learn more about anything that we've talked about and the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about today, John, how do they find you online? www.garnerconsulting.com. That's G A R N E R. C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G. Well, you know, again, thanks for helping, again, to get another bite at this apple of the Affordable Care Act and the other things that we've talked about today. It's been a fascinating interview. I appreciate your time. Thanks for being a friend of our show, and welcome to our community. Thank you, Rick. You're welcome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're up against the clock, so we're going to do a quick outro here. I'd like to thank our sponsors for sponsoring the radio show. I'd like to thank Crystal Nunley, who is our producer, Kathleen Shepard, who is our guest coordinator, and Paul Roberts, who is our engineer. Until the next time we have a chance to talk, here's hoping that all of your decisions will move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show, right here in Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio. Dot net.